Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and we are once again joined by the genius PD Webb uh, to continue talking the 2022 draft and a little bit more than just the 2022 draft, Alex. Yeah, there's there's a lot that we get into in this episode. We talk about Shaden Sharp, whether he's doing himself any favors with how he's approached the pre-draft process so far, and also if maybe the, the mystery man label is sort of correct uh and we also talk about uh one of our favorites uh, as he has been for the whole time Jaden Ivy and if the Knicks should look into trading up to get him if that would be a good idea we talk about PD's favorite prospect in the draft Tari Eason and how he could fit on the Knicks and also get a little preview of the 2023 draft where PD convinces us that uh basically Victor Wembanyama might be the best NBA prospects since like Lou Alcindor, aka Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Uh, so we'll talk about that all next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, including... You know this, if you see our smiling faces, and you'll, you'll, you'll see some even bigger smiles when we talk about a certain French big man who could maybe, please God, one day be a New York Knick. Um, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of The Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. You can check them out at thestrick.land. This is a fascinating conversation touching on a lot of the most uh, tantalizing young basketball players in the world, so I won't hold it up any longer. Let's get into it with P.D. Webb. In terms of, um, I know you noted, well, just now, but also earlier, the idea that it's not the draft to move up. And you specifically like cited after three or after four, like maybe I'm off, but I would assume the fourth guy there is Jaden Ivey. That kind of leads me to Shaden Sharp, who I think is sort of the perceived for myself included for, for most of the cycle, high upside guy that is also within that range that the Knicks would theoretically want to pushing their chips for a move up. Obviously the Kentucky connection doesn't hurt. Um, And he is a guy like you hear about like his vertical leap and his shot. He seems to have the outlines like if with very, maybe with no glasses, with sort of a blurry outside view of like, Oh yeah, that is, that is the star bet outside of the top three or four. But do you, do you actually believe that to be the truth? Or is that more the case of him just kind of being a mystery box? Um, I mean, so my, I've, been watching Shaden since what, his like sophomore year of high school when he was at uh at like the summer before Sunrise Christian. So yeah, it's like I've I've seen been seeing him for like three and a half years, I guess. Um, as much as you can really count like this year is seeing him. Um, where you know everybody on this call has seen him play basketball as much as I have. Um, so I think that a lot of Shaden's uh, like I think there's sort of two ideas of Shaden Sharp. There's like the people who uh watched him in high school and sort of like the people who take the broad description of him and sort of jump to conclusions. Um, Because like, I think that there's 
the player that is like broadly seen as like you know this this electric athlete who is a great off the dribble shooter like people naturally go between those two points and be like well he's you know he gets to the rim well and, and he you know dunks in the half court a bunch and that's just not necessarily represented in his uh his tape like he is a phenomenal off the dribble shooter uh he shot like 42 percent i want to say in, in in eybo um his the the, the last season that he played um most of that like on side steps and 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 you know, like really intense difficult deep shots over very good defenders and uh having to do a lot of it himself but his his athleticism is uh very like specific he is a great like jumping athlete it's it's off one foot it's off two feet he doesn't really need to gather like he gets up very quickly um but it is not necessarily like as it is not as much of basketball athleticism as like somebody like Jim Maddie, who gets downhill very easily, who you know doesn't have the world's like most insane handle, but moves so well and is so sudden that he's able to get in that space to just lift off. And I think that's the depth. That's the separation between like how Ivy is seen as a prospect and how Sharp is. Is that like Sharp is much more of a glider? Um, I think it's like much more similar to like young Demar Derozan. And somebody like people want, you know, would probably more lean towards J.R. Smith in terms of like how he moves and how his athleticism functions. But like DeRozan wasn't always like was never a guy who just like blew by everybody. He got by on craft, he got by on strides, and like once he got a step, he was going to boom it on you. But in the half court, like Demar creating great advantage has never really been the thing. Um, so I think that that's that's like godly the pitch for Sharp is that he has these really fantastic indicators it's like a six five kid with a you know plus six and a half wingspan um that you know has really positive off the dribble shot making um very advanced technician offensively you know i think there are good passing reads in there um the thing is that he is really basketball young so he missed this or he did not play for this most recent season and sort of previously he blew up out of nowhere he was a kid who was playing on you know, campus uh, youth national teams, but was not playing as much at Sunrise. He transferred to another school, sort of had a, a had the athleticism and the handle, you know, took a step forward, and he had a, a very big summer. And then, you know, basically after a year of exploring, now he's here. So from two years, he went from kind of a a a, a bench player at a an academy who was like athleticism and, and, and energy. Into now a guy who's seen as a you know an off the dribble creator, and there are still just vestigial development areas that need to be addressed. And I think treating him as as sort of this like upside who's you know very certain isn't really understanding of like the steps that that usually go with that process. Yeah, speaking of that, I mean, we we so I couldn't wait to start asking you about Sharp because I, you've been the guy that I want to whose brain I want to pick about Sharp because I I've been intrigued by him ever since I started seeing rumblings about him potentially declaring for this draft and, and we'll get to the eligibility concerns in a minute too, because as uh, you know, I, I think you noted on Twitter at one point, you know, there's some hurdles for him to get over and he might not even be over those fully yet. He still hasn't fully hired an agent. Like he's still basically in the testing the water stage right now, but as far as his, his game is concerned and as far as like doing himself favors, I, I really was expecting some more out of him at the combine. And I feel like he didn't really, he didn't really do as much as I was expecting. Like, it seems like he did like a pro day, but didn't do the general 
you know, stuff, which I, I mean, it's not unheard of, like for certain guys to not, uh, you know, do certain things at the combine. If they feel that their draft stock is assured, you know, like, like Chad or Paolo or, or Jabari Smith, you know, whatever, like they're mostly there to get their interviews in. They're the consensus top three, whatever order they go in, they're probably going to be the top three picks. You know what I mean? Unless they royally screw it up somehow. I'm like, have a terrible interview or something but for a guy like sharp like i mean yes the the intrigue is there yes the that ideal wing size is there and the the alleged athleticism and wingspan and all this other stuff like is there and so that's you know he's got that to roll with but you know teams don't have a lot of recent tape of him and as you said you know the the term you used he's very basketball young like he doesn't have a lot of you know high school tape to work with it kind of I, I made a comparison when we were talking pre-show to it almost reminds me a little bit of what Mitchell Robinson went through um prior to you know his whole I don't know what you would call it his whole saga uh, you know prior to getting drafted where he was committed to one school and then you know the the coach left or whatever the case was then he committed to another school and then he decommitted from that school and wound up just working out uh for a year to get ready for the NBA and then He's gone through like seven different agents and everything else. I, I'm getting some of those same vibes off Sharp because it, he didn't go through and do the like the NBA sanctioned like um, anthrometric stuff, you know, which is the the you know the the measured vertical leaps and the maximum reach and um, standing reach, hand size, blah blah blah, you name it. You know, all these various things that can help certain prospects out. Like we saw Dyson Daniels get helped out by that a bit, and we saw like Tari Eason, for example, who hopefully we'll talk about in a minute maybe to close the show off but like you know we saw some guys really help themselves out or, or like you mentioned um who who moved way up everybody's boards he measured super, oh, super jalen williams. J- yeah jalen williams yeah i just totally spaced on his name for a second but yeah like he helped himself out a ton you know there, there's guys that do this and i feel like sharp didn't do that do you think that he's really with how he's approaching this pre-draft process do you think he's doing himself any favors right now because it i mean i, I just saw for example a big board from jonathan wasserman another Another guy we, we love having on the show and love his insights. And he's usually somewhat plugged in with with how he writes his big boards and his mock drafts and stuff. And he has sharp down to 10 now. And I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that he sort of mailed in the combine. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And in the next segment, we'll be talking about Jaden Ivey, who is certainly tantalizing and maybe a guy worth trading up for just based off how great of a fit he could be with the Knicks and the needs that they have on the team. But first, I got to let you guys know today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers and makes and models of cars, you guys know it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why would you want to endure all the pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the brand that their warehouse happens to carry that's going to make them the most money? And going to make you wait. They're going to make you like wait for them to get that from their warehouse and then come back to the store and pick up that part, which is just not convenient when you could just use rockauto.com. You could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? On top of that, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. So they're not just helping out the mechanics and leaving you hung out to dry. They're going to give you the same price that they would give anyone shopping on their website. And quite frankly, mechanics, if you're listening, maybe go check it out because they might give you a better deal than even the mechanics rate at your local 
brick and mortar auto parts store. So definitely check out Rock Auto regardless of your circumstances. So go to rockauto.com right now and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to get something right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Yeah, so um, like Bones Highland, don't listen to this part. Um, but the combine is largely like it's about gamesmanship and making sure that you do the things that make you look good and doing the things that don't make you look good. So like the combine, I'm a person who does not believe like the combine basketball matters really at all. Because like it's just it's a combo guard fest. Like if you want to go get your game off, you can. But if you're a person who's really good at like tagging from the weak side in your scheme, like that's just never going to stand out in a in a combine scrimmage. So like there's just certain archetypes that it doesn't do well for. Um, so if that you know if that isn't the word the circumstance where you'd look good, like your agent should probably say that you should not do that. Um, and the same thing for like anthro testing. If you know you have a really short wingspan, like you shouldn't do the anthro testing. Of course, if you were not a, a person who could afford that stuff, you know, there there have to be circumstances that you have to, you know, generate positive, uh, positive press. Um, but, you know, I make the joke a lot that like pro day is short for propaganda day. And like that's ultimately, you know, what these are. They're, they're showcases for for prospects and in a lot of ways, their chances to rewrite narratives. So for players who are in schemes, you know, big guys who are in schemes that aren't allowed to shoot, they'll take, you know, hundreds of threes. And it's like, yeah, I wasn't allowed to do this, but I have I have shooting touch. And that's the sample that, that evaluators have. And sometimes that catches the glint of somebody's eye or it confirms a, a belief they already had a little bit. And, you know, that's how guys can come up and down draft boards. Um, and so for me, uh, I think with, with Sharp, there's just, there are a great deal of, know questions and there's just so there's so little firmity in how this this year has gone um you know whether it is like the timeline of things happening or you know what you know what exactly he's looking for in terms of uh, like to stay in this draft or not stay in this draft um because he does have the option to return and and i think kyle tucker of the athletic reported that that there were conversations that that he was still like potentially planning on returning um like that being that's still being in the air so um, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions. I think that more than anything, the combine was just a, a, to me was a chance for him to to put out like just cut a good promo, like show him you know jumping as high as possible, show some of these like really unique skill sets. And I just felt like it was uh, not the best possible showcase of of him. And that's I think what teams are reacting to is that like there's there's quite a few question marks along this process. And I think this was a really like that if there was a really concrete showing that this would have just been like, yeah, then none of that matters. Cause like, look how, look at how, you know, this play, like look what we just saw. And instead it, it seemed to be a little bit more of like, this is also a little bit funky. I, I guess circling back to the other guy in that move up conversation, Jaden Ivy, obviously the, we, we, I, I think I mentioned in part one of this podcast, but the Kings are one of those teams that's rumored to, potentially want to move down. And I'm always, I'm always a little dubious because I mean, you just look at like the last 10 drafts, like those trades just don't happen very often. Like you can list on one hand, like the number of times teams move down and like rarely, especially from four to like all the way back to 11 or four to like, depending on what the Knicks gave up in that kind of trade out of the draft. Obviously there's no Julius Randall appeal for the Kings. So all the qualifiers in the world, that this is a long shot. Um, given what you noted about the differences in how Ivy and sharp um, like, can access their athleticism on the basketball court. 
Do you think Ivy's the the closest thing this draft does have to that advantage creating job guard that you had previously referenced, or yes. are there other faults? Yes. Oh, this please, is you know, this go is, ahead. I think go this is it. I think the, the clearest to like and in speaking in specific about the type of athleticism, like uh, there's a lot of similarities to like like John Wall or or De'Aaron Fox in terms of just like having a turbo button that works different than everybody else's. Um, and just having upper gears. Um, like, there's a lot to uh, to like about Jaden Ivey, but, like, some of the things that I like most are just the simple stuff. Like, he just beats off transition defense down the floor in a way that other people physically cannot do. And these are just that that elements of, of getting free points, making something out of nothing. Um, like, I guess there's... Intangibles is one of those terms that, like, only means, like, if you can remember the playbook or, like, teammates like you or whatever but there is a a real intangible quality to like being able to generate uh generate advantage at any moment just if the ball's in your hands um so i don't know how much like obviously moving up is is a dangerous game because every ownership group like has extreme fomo like they don't want to be the ones who get put on like the summer jam screen for passing up uh you know uh, they don't want to be the people who say like picks darko over you know, Carmelo and, and D Wade, and that's just what lingers in, in their heads. Is that like any bold move, any like big decision is going to really ring out. Um, so there's just going to always be a more conservative approach to to trade downs. But if there is one person that expending real capital does make sense for, um, if you believe that that generating a tilted defense is the biggest problem the Knicks have, then Ivy is the solution. Yeah, well, you know, you want to you want to keep endearing yourself to. To the uh, the adopted fan base here, you're dropping summer jam references, and you're also talking up Jaden Ivey. I mean, I would love to move up for Jaden Ivey. He's been, I mean, once it started becoming obvious that he probably wasn't going to be an option for the Knicks based off where they were going to finish, I've sort of like moved away from that discourse a little bit. But I was saying all the way back in like December when we did our first like you know draft uh, uh, primers and whatever. Like, is there a more perfect prospect in this draft for the Knicks than Ivy? I don't really think so. I, I don't even think any of the top three guys would necessarily slot in and be a more seamless fit than he would be for the Knicks. Because I just think, you know, when, when you talk about what you're, you know, what you're talking about with different ways to bend a defense, like, again, the, the Knicks just don't have these, like, nuclear athletes, you know, with, with the super speed and everything other than, again, Obi Toppin, who's your power forward and, you know, he, he does his thing playing like a wide receiver out there and transition and everything and always, you know, having that just like like spidey sense of knowing when to hop out on the break and, you know, get ready for that long pass. But like the other guys on the team, you know, they're, they're not really like coast to coast burners or, you know, guys that can yeah. get it out the three point line and just like like rip it straight to the hoop like like Ivy can. Yeah, I mean, for me, like putting pressure on the rim and just getting two feet in the paint easily is I think the, the thing that every time I've watched the Knicks, I'm like, if they just had somebody who could get two feet in the paint, like this whole thing looks different. Like everybody's game suddenly makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah. This is my big, like, please draft Shreve Cooper uh, rationale, which, I hey, I do think that Shreve Cooper might be available with some phone calls. Just just some free ideas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you and a bunch of other people certainly talked us into Sharif last year. So uh, I still am not against that idea. Um, but yeah, I, I just think I think that Ivy would just give you such a, a nice balance sitting in between, you know, let's say your starting lineup is quickly 
Ivy and RJ Barrett, you've got then, you know, your two guys in RJ and quickly that sort of have that, that plotting way of getting to the rim, uh, you know, quickly uh, more with, you know, turning to his floater a lot or looking to pass out. Although he did start to get all the way to the rim a lot more towards the end of the year. Um, RJ, who just sort of like bullies his way in there, throws a shoulder into somebody and tries to finish through contact. But then also having that, that skill of an Ivy to just finally be able to have someone that can have it at the three point line, take a pass and just like, like turn on the jets, get all the way to the rim in like, like a half second and, you know, generate something that way. I think would be super valuable to this team. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm curious because this, this is something that I've floated potentially for the Knicks, you know, to move up potentially for certain guys. Um, and so I'm curious your thought based off what you said about how valuable you view 2023 picks to be. If, if the Knicks had an option on the table to trade, say their pick this year. So pick 11, that 2023 top 10 protected Dallas pick for next year and a, I, I don't know, a little, like two seconds or something, which they have an overabundance of uh, going forward, especially next year. I think they have like like six or seven draft picks total next year because they have the two firsts and then like four or five seconds. Um, would you be inclined to do a move like that? Like, do you think that a, a Jaden Ivey is worth that sort of move or are you still sort of, sitting back and be like, I don't know, because the 23 draft looks so good that I'm not quite positive that I would even want to use that, that ammo to move up into the top four of this draft. All right, guys, we're going to come back and wrap up this podcast, uh, talking a little bit more on Victor Wembayama and a little bit of Tari Eason and why he's such an exciting prospect and potentially great fit on the New York Knicks. But first got to tell you how to not get scammed. That's right. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let, don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. These companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill is over 2 billion users and they help save them over $100 million. Like Matthew B who says, in a matter of seconds, I saved $660 a year on my direct TV bill, $120 for my Sirius XM bill, and $840 on car insurance. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other forces that like the uh, trying imagine. Okay, so I'm going to suggest a terrible thing here, but like if the Knicks don't do well, like and say that they do poorly and then don't do well in the lottery, get moving up in 23 is going to take like a king's ransom. So it's not even that like the ransom that's currently there may not be enough to get from like you know seven to four or whatever. So like that in itself may not be possible. So it may just be safer to move to take that deal and somebody who does solve these problems and like yeah like ivy's a very good prospect he's not scoot henderson who you know, does the same thing and, and uh and it, it is more of like a, a traditional one um uh, where you know ivy sort of exists on the periphery of a number of positions and archetypes um but it's also like it's a clear solution to a large problem and gives flexibility in another year to figure things out so you know i, I think that 
planning for the future is nice, but like if a solution falls into your lap, I don't think you should just like bail because there also happens to be like very good players next year. I don't know. I but, like, like it, 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 it's at some point, like I can't name the last like Knicks, the gr last great Knicks perimeter player who put two feet in the paint, like how well. Marbury, maybe. <laughs> I mean, was he still like that at that point? Yeah, I don't know if he had that juice even. Like, yeah, first year, maybe. First year, first two years, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he was, but he wasn't like he was a lot more athletic. Like at the, I mean, to Petey's point, at the very beginning of his career. So yeah, it's a, it's been a, it's been a very long time. Um, I that being said, I feel like we're almost, we're almost like dancing around like the big picture question here, and it's this weird thing because it feels like I mean, based on what you're saying about 2023, based on the directions, I feel like the Knicks should go. They should just lean completely into the youth and i mean almost i like i i wouldn't it wouldn't even be a tank but just like play these guys see how well they do and the sad thing is like i think they'd probably be about as good going that direction as they would be like the aforementioned scenario you suggested where like you either believe in julius randall because you genuinely believe in him or you believe in julius randall because nobody else wants julius randall so you have to believe in him and they continue to surround him with vets. Like we, we, we sort of saw the end result of that this year and, and all the numbers painted out that they were a better team with Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin on the floor. But again, I'll, I'll put you in the GM chair. If you were, if, if you, if I gave you access to run the Knicks, do you just try and just get off as many of these vets as possible, as quickly as possible, play all the young guys, take your lumps and hopefully just get the best possible pick in 2023. Would that be the optimal way for the Knicks to move forward? Because right now it feels like we're, we're we're in, in in a better way than they've ever been because they're actually our young guys and promising young guys, but they're still on that forever treadmill of mediocrity. And maybe that's the better than the treadmill of, of pretty bad to very bad that we've had for twenty years. But I, I just I don't see what the step forward is for this franchise if not that. I mean, can I give a half answer? I mean, I think to me the half answer is you play the young guys more. You don't necessarily have to like cut all of the older guys but they you do have to like sit them down and be like hey so it used to be 32 and now it's 24 like that's the minute volume you're going to be getting um the thing is that like i'm not 100 percent certain certain that like everyone in the building is going to be cool with that from those who wear jerseys to like those who wear suits yeah. and like i can think something's a great idea but like if the brain trust doesn't then like it can't happen so i think that one of the benefits of trading up is there is just an, a natural pressure that comes from really high picks that like they do have to be played. That like a if you pick somebody in the top five, like they have to play, and they have to play a lot, and that can sort of force timelines, force the hand of timelines faster. So I guess in the like trade up to get IV search situation, um, that would sort of accelerate out the some of the vets just one because. You know, has some positional overlap, but two, like rookies just don't win basketball games. So, which also isn't the worst thing for next year. Just a, a thing to, to also consider is like, if there's a year to not be good at basketball, like next year is the year to not be good at basketball. Yeah. As, as Sam Presti is, uh, proved in spades <laughs> with his overall strategy the last couple of years, I, I would yeah, assume if that if you're going to guess how many times Shea Gildas Alexander puts on an Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, for him next year, bet the under. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, him, even Giddy, you know, like anybody, whoever they take a number two, 
I mean, forget about it. Like, I, I could very easily see a world where even if they get, like, Chet Holmgren, that they'll be saying, yeah, <laughs> take a seat for, like, 30 games. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, the, the G League team might have like might have more NBA players on it than the NBA team does. Like, that, <laughs> at that certain points, be, like that's that, that is a very real thing that could happen. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm sort of with you with that. Like, I I think it's so complicated with the Knicks because, like you said, there's you know someone can have a good idea, and you know there's been reporting around the team that maybe like Worldwide West, for example, was more in on like. Hey, let's get rid of Tibbs around like the the, the All Star break this year, and Leon Rose obviously made the final call of no, we'll stick with him, and then obviously has now made the call of no, we'll stick with him not just to the end of the year, but going into next year, and then you've got you know the the obvious I think that you know I don't know how Tibbs didn't didn't play some of these guys sooner, but you know now all the, there's all this stuff coming out about Tibbs apparently being you know, uh, feeling bad about not having played Obi Toppin more sooner and Emmanuel quickly more sooner, despite the fact they were doing a lot of the same things that they were doing at the end of the year, earlier in the year, but just in smaller samples and a little more sporadic because they never were able to get into a rhythm. Uh, But I'm with you. Like you definitely, I feel like, for example, just based purely off vibes and watching them and stuff, I feel like you could take say an Evan Fournier and sit him down and say, look, man, you know, we're going to bring you down to like 25 minutes a game. We hope that's okay. You know, we really want to play Grimes more and quickly more and get Deuce McBride a few minutes. So like, we're going to, we're going to play you a little less. And I feel like Fournier would be like, sure. Okay. I mean, you know, it, uh, it is what it is. If it becomes a problem, I'll let you know. And maybe we can work out a trade or something. If you say that to Julius Randall, he might storm out of the room and then, you know, and, and publicly, demand a trade of some sort or call his agent immediately be like put son now we want out of here like that's it i'm not playing less than like 35 minutes it's ridiculous um and i think those are the problems that the knicks need to solve this off this off season hopefully but certainly before like maybe if they don't do it right away during the draft and during the early stages of free agency or whatever they definitely need to have something figured out by the start of next season because as you said you know Next season of all seasons, the Knicks have resisted this for so freaking long, especially with an actually like promising, as you said earlier, well-fitting core of young guys. They've resisted for so long just being like, let's just try it. Like, let's just try it with the young guys and see what happens and not worry about, you know, a bunch of dudes that are like 27 to 30 years old, you know, getting them minutes and whatever. Let's just like see what we have with these young players and if they lose, they lose because we might get, you know, Victor Wembenyama at the end of the year, which would be really awesome because he looks like maybe one of the best prospects of the last, like, I don't know, 15 years. Um, uh, you can eliminate maybe and also make the number much larger than 15. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, you know what? Screw it. Get, what's the what's the elevator pitch on Wembenyama real quick? Just in case anybody is like curious about what uh, what there is potentially waiting at the end of the rainbow next year. Okay, um, so have you ever seen a seven foot four teenager shoot threes off flare screens before? Have you also <laughs> ever seen that that uh, that player uh, recover about five steps in a drop and pin somebody stuffed like the top of the square? Like he's so a saying- he's a hilariously effective uh, uh, um, defensive player while also like having uh, multiple uses on offense, like. 
you can tell that he watches a lot of Joel Embiid, but it has a frame that's like closer to Gobert in terms of ground coverage. Like, so like a, a bigger Poku is what you're saying. Oh no, he's like a straight five. Like, like no, no, no. Like I'm, he, I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. Like, <laughs> like he he. Anyone who the, the thing with Wembenyama is that like the internet, you know, makes a a a, a terrible habit of using hyperbole. And so, like, is this player the next KD? And the problem is that when you actually do find a player who deserves hyperbole, I sound like I'm describing like a mid-major plus point guard where it's like the next Chris Paul. I'm like, no, he's just not six foot. He's good, but he's just not a six footer. Like when you like when Minyama played uh, the U the U nineteen USA team, and he was the best player on the floor that had like like seven, eight, nine NBA players. Uh, he like took Chet out of the game, and if it wasn't for American hero Kenneth Lofton Jr. fouling him out onto extraordinarily trash calls, like he would have basically beaten America by himself. Like <laughs> the, uh, the two years ago now, when when Evan Mobley was in his uh, draft year, uh, Arizona had a power forward who gave, it was like the only player in college game problem, uh, Lithuanian cat, and uh, like specifically the thing you would do was just like a shoulder check. And he tried that on Wemby at the U19s. And Wemby got shoulder-checked much further, went into, like, like almost towards the stanchion, and then jumped back and punched it before it got to the rim. Like, there are just things that he does that don't make sense. Like, truly and completely just, like, that's not how this is supposed to work. And there's no way to describe that to people until you've watched it, where you're just like, hey, so, like, I've never... Like, this, like he, he made Chad look like a normal dude. Like that's the like when you watch Chet, you're like, wow, this is an insane rim protector. And he's like, yeah, that, that looked normal next to Wemby. Uh, and Wemby was two years younger than Chet during, for that game. They're not like even close to the same age. So yeah, uh, it's 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 like a it's extraordinarily spooky. It's just the spook it's the spookiest prospect <laughs> you could possibly imagine. He's seven foot four, and they run him off flare screens, and he has he really truly wants to annihilate people on a basketball floor. It's it's really amazing stuff. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> it worked. You pitched me. I'm, I'm yeah. in. We'll, we'll, we'll take him. We'll, we'll take him in New York. Happy, happy yeah. to announce. Right. His, his uh, let's here. just say if, if you said I had to win five basketball games the next year, I'd be like, okay, cool. <laughs> we wouldn't have a halftime show. We just put up Victor Wambanyama half lights, half t- uh, highlights, and I'd just be like, y'all got to, y'all gonna have to understand me on this one. <laughs> That'd be a great new lottery rule. If you're under five wins, you, we don't we don't do it. You're just you, you get the first pick. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you just like like get to a point where they're like you know like get to a point where they're like this is an embarrassment. And I would just again just turn to the projector and be like, I carry this with me at all times. Just start playing <laughs> highlights and be like, you're gonna have to understand me. There you go. Yeah, you're like that guy who's just walking around Times Square with like an iPhone like stapled to his head, just playing the yes. same video. But, yes, is, that is exactly yeah. what it would be if if uh, if I were in a position like again Sam Presti. I get it. I full, we fully understand. Amazing stuff. Uh, well, uh, he will not be a Nick because the Knicks will probably finish with like the ninth worst record and will either stay at nine or move down. But uh, to whichever team gets him, uh, good for them. Good for them. Uh, I'll, I'll finish up with this on my end. Um, who's your favorite prospect for the Knicks outside of the top three guys that we haven't talked about yet and why? Um, can, can I just say like favorite prospect in general that I think would yeah. be really fun on the Knicks? Sure. Um, I mean, my absolute favorite guy to watch this year is Tari Eason. Um, Perfect. Um, uh, because uh, Tari Eason plays basketball um, like like Ed Reed played football. Um, he is like a 
a complete and true like world destroyer. Um, and like you can just tell that he gains like an extreme satisfaction from just like just like, just wrecking people. Uh, attacks the rim with reckless abandon. I mean, he's uh, he's twenty one now, so he's he's on the older side for a player, but uh, a classic Pacific Northwest late bloomer. Um, had a thirty two usage at LSU. Um, played in like a a scheme that uh, people. I think would say is like very chaotic, but that's it's more a, a scheme that is havoc based and really encourages like it gives a lot of freedom to their weak side uh, defenders so they can like roam, um, but also says like hey you have to be able to make plays so like you can't foul too much you can't um, you know you can't if you gamble you have to hit a good amount of times but we're trusting you to cover these huge swaths of space so like it leads to some plays where like people he will be out of position or you know he'll decide that he like shouldn't jump for something. Um, but overall, it's just like if you want to bet on a really fun mixture of like wiring, um, I would say touch indicators. He's, you know, over the past like four years on a really positive shooting curve, he hit 80% of his free throws this year. Um, but like the way that RJ Barrett is wired is very similar to how Tari is wired. Like the look that RJ gets when he like runs somebody over and just has that like dead eyed stare of like, this is how it is, guys. Like I'm, I'm here to do this every single play. Like that's very much Tari's get down. Um, and I think that that would be very fun. Um, also, just somebody who gets fouled as much as he did at over a fifty percent free throw rate. Um, it's it's overall a player who I think has a lot of elements that that like would work. Um, it sort of a a style like a, a similar theory of player somewhat to to Obi, but it's sort of a thunder and lightning version of the same archetype. You kind of have one of them on the floor for like offense and energy at all times, um, and just really threaten the rim. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I overall like, I, I don't know if ten is going to ultimately be the like proper evaluation for Tari, like in the in the high teens to be like proper evaluation for Tari. But I believe that if you're a team that can maximize, um, you know, getting the three free throw three point attempt attempt rate up. Make sure that he is, you know, playing either like as a small ball five with with help over top, uh, or playing in offensive situations where he can can generate as much uh, uh, downhill uh, uh, violence at the rim as possible. Um, then, like, there's a really like really valuable player there, um, and one that I think uh, age is often a proxy for experience. Um, but it's not always a universal proxy. And he's a guy like Keegan is sort of the same, a similar idea, I think, on a little bit uh, smaller scale, um, just because of some of Keegan's specific limitations. But the, like Tari is uh, so much of a late bloomer that he's from basketball younger than, like, he's much basketball younger than 21. So that is not as much of a concern. But yeah, um, if you want just like a, just a really fun downhill athlete who's going to instill a mentality, uh, Tari's in. Uh, yeah, I well, if I wasn't sold before, I'm definitely sold now. I'm a big Tari guy. Uh, and, and he was honestly, I, I almost thought we weren't going to get to him. So when he said, oh, well, let me tell you about Tari East. And I was like, yes, thank you. Because <laughs> I wanted to talk about him a little bit. He's been one of my favorites as well. And, and certainly, especially in a post-Julius Randle world, if the Knicks are headed that way, a guy that I would love. I also love the idea of your thunder and lightning comp with uh, Obi. It'll be like a basketball version 
of Reggie Bush and Lendale White back in the day for a little little old school. Yeah, except you know, D- if both of them were a little bit more Lendale White built. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> yeah like, exactly. It, it's like a little bit more like uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit more like Thor and Hulk situation. Yeah, we're Marvel physiques. fans. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that like one of the things that this team is like. I think that there's a real case for like him sort of learning like Taj is going to be here as long as Tibbs is here. And that like a lot of the pathways for Taj succeeding. I was like, Taj is more Taj as a prospect is much more similar to Tari than I think people would recognize just because he's a guy who feels like he's been 35 forever. Mm-hmm. But like Taj used to be an absurd athlete and an absurd downhill athlete. And I think that he would be a him and Obi would be very specifically good guys for to, to, to learn elements of their craft because like his pathway to really taking the next steps is a lot of the lessons that they've learned um, on, on, you know, uh, through their careers, uh, uh, Obi going from kind of a, a guy at Dayton to like the dude. Um, a lot of those, those little micro skills are, are, would be very helpful, but yeah. Uh, don't know how many, like how, like what, Tibbs would do defensively, but uh, you know, in the world where y- you want to put one of those dudes next to next to Victor Wembanyama, like, hey, I don't. It, it's the fit of the future, you know. I agree. I I think I I you know Obi and uh, and Tari next to Wembanyama sounds pretty good as a as a Knicks uh, front court of the future. So I, I'm totally down. I'm totally down to add like maybe the best prospect of the last 25 years. I don't know. Um, Anyway, PD, we've we've had you for like a like over an hour here, uh, so I, I feel like we could talk to you like literally all day and all night, but uh, we'll let you go at this point. So then we could maybe come bring you back for another part prior to the draft or something. Uh, but yeah, did you want to let everybody know real quick where to find you online and all that good stuff before we uh, get rolling here? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Above the Break Three. Um, I work for a data company called Cerebro Sports, um, where you can check out all of their, all of our, I guess, uh, you know, um, uh, publicly available uh, data stuff, um, and which spans, you know, from from high school all the way down. Um, and I've used a lot of it in, you know, talking about Tari since historical shooting because I have, you know, another forty games of Tari before he played, you know, in college, which really helped, you know, see the larger shooting uh, trajectory. Um, if you're more interested in, in like the shade and sharp elements, I've written a piece uh, uh, that is available on my Patreon. It's all free. I just use it as a, as a blog of sorts. Uh, just a couple thousand words on breaking down his high school tape and, and sort of talking about the, the larger growth curve there. And then I should have a piece coming out the next day or so uh, talking about uh, evaluating players within defensive scheme, focusing on the Baylor wings of uh, Jeremy Sohan and Kemba Brown. Well, two guys uh, we'll maybe get to next time. Uh, PD, uh, insightful as always. Really appreciate it, man. And thank you for all of you for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back with at least one more podcast this week. Um, but until next time, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. Thanks for tuning in. Peace out.